The sermon text today is Ecclesiastes 1, verses 12 through 18. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. For much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Well, many of you know the movie, of course. It's a wonderful life. I mean, most of us have seen it. It's not really a Christmas movie. You know, James Stewart stars in it. It's not really a Christmas movie. It's showed at Christmas. Really, the point of the movie is about the meaning of life. What is the meaning of life? You, you know the storyline. The storyline is, is Jimmy Stewart there, uh, through a series of events, is brought to a place where he thinks his life really doesn't matter. And so he thinks it's probably best just to end it all. And so he goes to this bridge, and there he's about to commit an act of suicide, and he, he's interrupted by an angel, Clarence. And Clarence, the balance of the movie is about showing, about showing him how valuable, how important his life is. It's a touching story because we tend to ask the same question. Is my life valuable? Does it matter that I live on this earth? We're all brought to this question at one point. Does my life have meaning? Am I happy? Am I content? All of us want to know that it matters that we live. Now, not all would encourage that. Of course, some would dissuade us from even thinking it's possible to know purpose and meaning and value. Richard Dawkins, a British atheist scientist, said these words. He says, human existence is neither good nor evil. It's neither kind nor cruel. It's simply callous, indifferent to all suffering, lacking all purpose. Well, I think probably to Mr. Dawkins' chagrin, the bulk of humanity across time, places, and people have wanted to know, have clamored to know, why am I here? Why do I exist? Does my life matter? And thankfully, we have a guide for our journey. Last week, we were introduced to the preacher. This week, we get to hear directly from him. This preacher, Solomon, perhaps, or perhaps someone with Solomonic wisdom. Uh, the point of it is that he's trying to answer the question found in verse 3, which is, what do you gain from all the toil with which you toil under the sun? Now, does your life matter? You're on this earth for a period of time. You're toiling on this earth. doesn't matter. What's the gain? What's the hope? Where's the happiness? That's the question he wants to answer. Are you just born, and then you live, and then you die, and then you're forgotten? Well, what, what Solomon is going to do is this week he's going to pursue the path of wisdom. Can we gain enough wisdom and learning to understand why we are here and what our purpose is? Next week, it'll be pleasure. Maybe it's can we enjoy ourselves into meaning? 
Can we have enough pleasure and joy that we find fulfillment and happiness? The week after that, it will be work. Uh, can we work our way into meaning and significance? And he will guide us down each one. Now, Solomon is a, a, good, a good guide for this journey into wisdom. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the, the quest, right? The great quest of why am I here? What is the meaning of my life? And then we're going to look at a grim discovery he makes. It's going to be a grim discovery that he finds at the end of this journey. And then I want to introduce maybe a silver lining to this whole dilemma. So first, let's meet this guide. You see, look with me in verse 1. He says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. I think these autobiographical words are simply introducing us to the fact that he really is the one to do the search. He's the one to do the guiding. Why? He's the king. I mean, think about it. No doors would be closed to him. No opportunities would be prevented from him enjoying me. He has the most time, the most money, the most resources. He has the most abilities. He can, he can get at anything. I mean, he's the king. But not only that, he's Solomon. So when Solomon in 1 Kings, when he, was, uh, when he became king, God said, ask from me whatever you want, and I'll grant it to you. He didn't ask for wisdom, he didn't ask for, or he didn't ask for power, and he didn't ask for wealth. He asked for wisdom, and God gave it to him. So he's going to be a good guide for us through the book of Ecclesiastes. The wisest man in the world is going to begin with wisdom to try to find the meaning of life. Back to chapter 2, he says, For what can the man do who comes after the king? Eh, nothing. He's the man we want to follow in this guide. So he's going to lead us. And look what he does. He begins with the first test to try to find what gain do we enjoy from all of our toil? He looks into wisdom and learning. Look with me in 13 and 16. They're kind of parallel passages. He says this, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that's done under heaven. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. So here he's testifying honestly that, that he was looking into all things. A diligent search was made. He applied his whole being, his whole heart. It's a genuine effort. It's a comprehensive effort. He's looking at everything under the sun. And not just is he looking under the sun, he's looking at both wisdom and madness and folly. So we write off madness and folly. Oh, what can you gain from that? He wants, to, he wants to look under those stones as well. He wants to ask all the questions. He doesn't want to ignore any possibilities. He's going to use his, his five senses, human reason, human experience, to discover what is the meaning of life. He wants to understand the basic. Why are we here? You know, Stephen Hawking, many of you perhaps saw that movie, The Theory of Everything. The Theory of Everything was his kind of theolo his, um, hypothetical framework of trying to discover how we got here. Who are we? I mean, from quantum particles to spiral galaxies, he tried to understand the theory of everything. That's what Solomon is trying to do. He's trying to lead us into understanding who are we and why are we here. Now, you don't have to be a philosopher to be interested in this. All of us want to be happy. We want to feel like our lives matter. We want to feel as if our lives count. I mean, think about it. The decisions you make every day are based upon what you think will make you happy. 
the clothes you choose to wear, the food you choose to eat, the jobs you choose to take, the people you choose to marry, whether I want to have children or not. They're all driven by this desire to be happy. Every one of us wants to be happy. And we make decisions in accordance with that. You know, these words were articulated all the way back in the 17th century. Blaise Pascal, a French philosopher, inventor, he wrote these words. He says, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend toward this end. The cause of some going to war and others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attendant with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. We all want to be happy. Even Sigmund Freud, the 19th century neurologist, he says, uh, what do men show by their behavior to be the purpose and intention of their lives? What do they demand of life and wish to achieve in it? The answer, of, the answer to this can hardly be in doubt. They strive after happiness. They want to become happy and remain so. So that's for all of us. Not something to be embarrassed about. God's built us to find satisfaction. And so we, we want that. The problem with our striving after happiness is we're met with so many challenges. First being just the paradoxical nature of the world. How do we make sense of this world? This is what Ecclesiastes is, is going to be trying to untangle for us. Why do good men die before bad men? Why do fools live longer than wise men? He asked this question in 715, In my vain life I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. There's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Where he says in chapter 9:11, Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. He's saying that in this world, there's an absurdity to it. There is an inability to make sense of this world with wisdom. There's these head-scratching events that you just can't get around. And then if it's not the, the paradoxes that we face, it's death itself. Death seems to prevent any sort of full meaning being enjoyed in this life. It, death itself seems to stop that. You know, Luke Ferry is a French philosopher. He wrote a book, A Brief History on Thought. It's a good book we've read as a staff. And he simply said this, that, that the birth of philosophy, this love of learning, came because we can't deal with death. There's an anxiety that we can't stop that train from coming. And so philosophy was birthed to try to make sense of how can we have value in this life if we know it all ends. And it birthed cynicism and stoicism and all, the, all these other isms to try to make sense. How can I figure life out when I know it's going to end and there'll be no remembrance of me? Now, you don't, again, you don't have to be a philosopher to be concerned about this. Now, you may be thinking right now, well, that's not my thing. You know, I'm not really into the, the wisdom and the intellect and philosophy. I just live my life the way i got to live it, day by day. I take what's in front of me, and I try to enjoy it as I can. I want you to know, though, that you're just following another path. It may not be intellectualism, but every one of us here in this room wants to have a purpose and meaning. 
you want to have value. You want to matter. You want to make sure that your life on this planet has some meaning and purpose. I mean, for you, it may be the path of hedonism. I just want to be happy. I just want to be pleased. I just want to make sure and be satisfied in everything physical. That's just the path of hedonism. Or maybe it's materialism. You're thinking that I will be satisfied if I can get that bigger house, that better job, more money. Or maybe it's minimalism. Maybe you're a Marie Kondo lover. That minimalism equals meaningfulness. That you just want to pare down. You know, the simple life is the better life. It, it can be cynicism. It can be just, I'm going to chin up, soldier on, keep moving. I'm just going to endure with whatever life gives me. There's all kinds of paths that we're choosing. I, we're choosing. I just want to point out to you that each one of you has a journey that you're on. Solomon is pursuing and testing the path of wisdom right now. What path are you choosing? Because here's the, here's the problem. To try to find meaning and purpose out of this life will be thwarted. It'll be thwarted because job loss, loss of health, loss of life, loss of friends. Life doesn't afford you an ability to find wisdom. And that's what we find this grim discovery to be. Solomon doesn't hold back from us. He's honest as a guide. He says, it did not turn out well for me. Uh, so we have this great quest. We want to find meaning and value and purpose to life. And, and Solomon's our guide. He's the wisest one. He should do it. What did he find? Well, look with me at the text, at what he found in his searching out for a purpose and meaning in life through wisdom. He found it frustrating. Uh, look with me, if you will, at verse 14. He says, I've seen everything under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. So here's Solomon, he's pursuing all these paths of learning to try to figure out life. And, and what he says is it's, it's vanity. I'm trying to enjoy life, I'm trying to find meaning through wisdom, through knowledge, through learning. And he says it's vanity. Remember last week, vanity simply means smoke, it means vapor. It means something unsubstantial. This idea of chasing after the wind. You know the absurdity of like watching a dog chase its tail. You just look at it and recognize how absurd that is. And that's what Solomon's saying. His life has a certain absurdity to it. There is a, there's no way the wisdom of men or women could somehow untangle the Gordian knot of life's meaning. You just can't. You can't solve the struggles that we have. You can't understand all the enigmas and all the puzzles that life brings to us. It will frustrate you. You'll be like a dog just spinning around chasing its tail. You'll end up frustrated. But not just is it frustrating. He says it's actually futile. It's futile. Look with me in 15. In 15 he says, What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. In other words, he's saying something that is crooked, it cannot be straightened out. The wisdom that we gain in this world cannot straighten out or solve the problems that we have in life, that each one of us will face in this life. That what is lacking can't be counted. You can't count something that's not there. There is no wisdom to fill in the gaps of the enigmas, the head-scratching events that you have in life. You There's no way of solving this. It will remain confusing. 
and hard to understand. It, it, it will be futile for you. You know, we watched the series Mission Impossible. It followed the TV series earlier. I always love Mission Impossible because they're always possible. So it's not really Mission Impossible because they always do it. But this is the Mission Impossible. To try to figure this out. To solve the problem. You know, we're a nation of specialists now. Uh, there isn't the old general GP, the, the, the doctor that you go to for everything. You could bring your dog to the doctor. He just does everything. Now everybody has a specialty. We, we think that in people of higher learning, they're going to have the wisdom. They're going to solve what our struggle is. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. It's frustrating. It's futile. But not just is it futile. It's actually fatal. It's fatal. There's a spiral downward trying to find satisfaction in learning. You see this in verse 18. Look with me at 18. He says, For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. You know, there's something interesting about that. <clears throat> that with much wisdom, much learning, comes great sorrow. I think if you've lived long enough, you kind of agree with this. The older you get, the more tragedies you face, the greater injustices you see, the greater puzzles that you're confronted with. It, there's almost a deepening sadness and sorrow over life. You know, we say of kids, ignorance is bliss. They don't know. <clears throat> They're ignorant. They don't have the knowledge that a 50 or a 60-year-old has. Now, this is why I'm convinced that the millennials, and we don't have any of those here, but the millennials don't want to do adulting kind of thing. I get it. I totally get it. Who wants to do adulting? Because adulting would mean responsibilities and, and, and learning the difficulties of life. There's a spiral down, and the spiral ultimately ends in death. That the wise and the fool, he says they die alike. Listen, in 2.16 he says, For of the wise as of the fool there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. In other words, there, there is no, there's a spiral downward to human wisdom to try to prevent, or at least try to present to us a meaning for life. Now, <clears throat> what I'm trying to do here is not disparage wisdom, obviously. Ecclesiastes is a book of wisdom. So it might be ironic for a book of wisdom to criticize wisdom. I think he's showing us the limits of wisdom. The, 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 the temporal limits of wisdom. Human wisdom cannot untangle the bigger questions. It cannot provide meaning for life. So you think about a, a young woman named Karen Cheng. She was unique in California. She scored a perfect on her SATs, and she scored a perfect on her University of California Acceptance Index. It had never been done before. I mean, brilliant young woman. Tremendous capacity for knowledge and smarts. In an interview with this woman, a reporter asked her, so what is the meaning of life? Here's what she said. I have no idea. I would like to know myself. I appreciate her honesty. She has no idea. All this learning, all this knowledge. You know, they say by the end of 2020 that we'll have more <coughs> bites of information 40 times 
terms of bytes of information, than all the observable stars in the universe. By 2025, they expect the Internet to have 463 exabytes of information. What is an exabyte, is your question. I don't know. <laughs> what I know, though, for a point of comparison, is that five exabytes of information would comprise all the spoken words through the history of humanity. There'll be that much more. It'll be daily on the Internet. But have we gained any greater understanding of what it means to live a fulfilling, happy life? All of it's there. And yet it just, that, that question, do I matter, seems out of reach for us. Well, this is why we're pink today, because I wanted to cheer you up. I know it's a dark message. In Ecclesiastes, uh, there are many roads that we're going to walk down, that we're going to face. Nope, the answer's not here. It, it seems almost depressing. You come to church, you want to be happy. You don't want to hear this kind of, listen, the great quest, sorry, grim discovery, there is no meaning to be found through human wisdom. Well, there's a silver lining here. And I think you're going to find it in verse 13. This is the thing I love about Scripture. He always, God always sows light. Light is always penetrating darkness. So look at 13. In 13 he says, It is the unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. And you're saying, well, where's the happiness there, Tom? It's the unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I think the preacher here is being patient with us. He's playing the part of a skeptic, and he's helping us to wrestle over this issue with him. He doesn't give us cute answers. He doesn't give these little axioms of life that cheer you up for about two nanoseconds. He does, you know, to the guy that would come up to him and say, you know, every day and every way the world's getting better, the preacher would say, you're a blind fool. You're not just foolish, but you're blind to everything that we see. Or to the person that says, you know what, there's a light at the end of every tunnel. Preacher says, it's probably a train. Probably a train. <laughs> he, he's not being a pessimist. He's being honest. He recognizes here that God is sovereign over all things. It says, it is the unhappy business that God has given to the children of man. Notice what he says there. He, God has given... So he doesn't explain, first, God as a redeemer. He explains God as a sovereign king. God is sovereign, and he is given to the children of man. He doesn't say children of men. He doesn't say humanity. He's saying children of man. In Hebrew, that is the children of Adam. He's drawing our mind back to Genesis chapter 3. He's drawing our mind back to see that the enigma of this life, the difficulty of finding meaning and value in life, is because of the nature of sin. It, creation has become untethered from its creator. And now we try to find self-worth and meaning on the things that God has given to us rather than God himself. And so we'll always move into despair. We'll always find futility to be part of this life. As long as we, who have been made in the image of God, try to find meaning and value apart from him, we will end up with frustration, futility, and ultimately it will be fatal. And God has given this. He's driving us to despair. 
that we would see him as our only hope. So this is the first mention of God in Ecclesiastes, so that we would look to God for meaning and hope. Now remember, he's talking to the people of God. He's talking to the people that can easily be, be kind of seduced into thinking that pleasure or wisdom or minimalism or materialism can somehow give me that joy that God's saying, I am here to give you that joy. One author said it this way. He said he's exalting God. God did not relieve Adam or Eve or the serpent from sin's consequences. He does not stop the unhappy business of paradise lost. He wants us to linger here. God will not bring us salvation by giving us an escape and immunity from this now cursed world. This is the way I pray for people. When I see people go down paths of trying to find meaning and value of life on all these temporal plastic shiny things that just attract us, God, let them run into despair headlong. Let them find no satisfaction. Maybe they're trying to pursue meaning and value through through conquering women or by, or by earning more money or new jobs. Let them find it to be empty and absolutely boring that they would turn to you. I pray for their despair so that they might turn into delight. This is the silver lining, that God uses futility of life to drive us to glory. God is driving us to himself through the futility. In what ways are you futile right now? In what ways are you frustrated? I mean, this is a book being written to the people of God. This isn't an evangelistic track to try to help the people who are trying to live apart from God somehow find God. They'll be happier if you find God. He's speaking to the people of God who are so easily swung over. Even the people of God trying to find. You know, I, I hear many Christians will say, well, this is the way I think about God. You know, they're pursuing God in their own intellectual you know, this is what I think, and this is what I believe, and this is what I've experienced, as opposed to discovering God through the Scriptures. So this is the first step out of the darkness, is to recognize that God uses futility to lead to glory. But then secondly, out of the darkness, the second silver lining here would be that God reveals, he reveals his wisdom through foolishness. God reveals his wisdom through foolishness. In other words, the meaning of life is not going to be found from human wisdom, but from the foolishness of God's wisdom. Uh, so we have here this, this son of David, this king of Israel. He's pursued wisdom and he's found it empty, which is really what you know, that word vanity means. But, but it, it kind of is a silhouette for this, this other son of David that will come. This other king of Israel who will come. As we saw last week, Jesus says, one greater than Solomon is here. Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment. of Everything you hope to gain from the wisdom of Solomon, I am the one filled with the wisdom of God. Jesus Christ. And, and in Christ, do you see this inverted wisdom of God? It's foolishness to man. In fact, let me read you how Paul interprets it and understands it. In 1 Corinthians 1, he says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. 
Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? He's drawing this right out of Ecclesiastes. He says, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. The Jews demand signs, the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Do you see? God has brought his wisdom in the paradoxical nature of the cross. Who wants the cross? Who sees the cross as anything close to wisdom? And yet God has revealed his wisdom through the folly of it. And here's why. He says, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, the righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it's written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is why he has shown his wisdom to be displayed through the folly of the cross. You wouldn't come to that on your own. God had to draw you. The very, the very sovereign, electing mercy of God opens your eyes. And so now you see the wisdom of God through the folly of the cross. The world will never find that. It's just one of the many paradoxes of Scripture. Think about it. Powers made perfect in weakness. Freedom in serving. Joy in trials. Treasure comes through giving. Rest comes through grabbing the yoke of Jesus and working. and dying we live. I mean, over and over, God is inverting. To understand God, you have to stand on your head. You've got to stand on your head, and it, it will all make sense. But God shows us that. So, so this idea of finding the meaning of life, that is something we will leave this room still wanting. And to pursue the meaning of life and find value and happiness in life through the things of this world, you will meet the grim discovery that you will be frustrated, you will find it futile, and you ultimately will die in the pursuit. The silver lining, the hope for us, the hope is that God will use futility to drive us to glory. So allow your despair to move you towards God. And, and then recognize that God will, will reveal his wisdom through Christ. So our meaning and our value and our purpose is only understood through Christ. That we are reconciled to God. We are, we are retethered to the Creator, as it were, through faith in Christ. We're brought back into a meaningful relationship. We are adopted. We are loved. We are forgiven. We are brought back through faith in Christ. We are brought back to our Creator to find meaning, purpose, and value in life. You know, if this is, is causing you questions, I, I would encourage you, to just talk to a member of this church or come forward to discuss. We'll be walking through this all the way through Ecclesiastes. 
do not let the book depress you. The book is driving you to the despair so that you might find the delight of God. Let's take a moment now and just ask God for his wisdom, his wisdom in Christ to lead us to a happy life in him. And then I'll pray for us in just a moment.